Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and it's my pleasure to be introducing you to the AI and robotics community in Australia and today in New Zealand as well. In the coming weeks, I will be acknowledging the premier, principal and lead partners of the Women in AI 2023 Awards, which will be held on Friday, 16 June at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. These valued Women in AI Awards partners have invited to nominate an up and coming inspirational woman within their organization, a rising star to tell their story. The University of Auckland, a lead partner has nominated Dr. Deanna Benavides Prado to join me today. Deanna currently holds the position of Senior Research Fellow at the School of Computer Science. Good morning and welcome, and thank you so very much for joining me today, Deanna. Good morning, Nishi. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, that's a really uh, great story. So um, in the 2016, I moved to New Zealand with the intention of pursuing my uh, PhD degree in computer science. But before that, I lived in my home country in Colombia, where I completed both a bachelor's and a master's degree in systems engineering and computing sciences. While I was there, I worked in academia as a research assistant and later as a research lead on several data-related projects because I always like things related to data. Uh, and I was particular in, particularly interested in using data to help organizations make good decisions to collaborate and to improve their business processes. So over there, I work with many public institutions in diverse areas such as healthcare, insurance services, justice, and geosciences. But uh, since my bachelor's degree, I had always been committed and always had that dream of earning a PhD. I was very inspired when I was a young student by a lecturer who used to taught uh, database theory at the time. And for me, he was the most knowledgeable and inspiring uh, lecturer I had ever met. Uh, so he had a PhD in computer science, which was sort of unusual for an undergraduate lecturer in Colombia. Uh, so I just aspired to be as good as him one day, and I made a promise to myself and also to my mother that I could earn a PhD one day. So after searching in, in various countries, I found two amazing potential supervisors, both of them female, who accepted me luckily for me and for my PhD at the University of Auckland in 2015. So when I moved to New Zealand in 2016, I started my PhD and my goal uh, in parallel was also to become a data scientist uh, uh, specializing in machine learning. And because my PhD research was uh, also related to machine learning, I just found that it was an excellent opportunity to gain uh, a specific real world experience in machine learning. So I found a job as a part-time data scientist while I was doing my PhD. And I did uh, a lot of projects that use machine learning for high impact social issues such as child maltreatment. And uh, I was very lucky because I had the chance to participate in exciting projects that ended up in machine learning tools that people actually use still today. Uh, 
So after working as a data scientist for several years, in 2021, I became a senior research fellow at the School of Computer Science at the University of Auckland. And since then, I have continued to conduct my research in machine learning, uh, uh, particularly in the areas of large language models, which are very important these days, and continual machine learning. Uh, I've also had the chance to participate in uh, high-impact projects that use data and machine learning models to benefit society, such as, for example, in the life sciences field. So, yeah, that's basically my journey so far. Congratulations, and do you um, consider New Zealand your home now? Yeah, of course, of course, it's my it's a good uh, good home. Uh, I'm still very attached to Colombia because my family is still there, but yes. yeah, I have uh, very um, strong attachments to both countries now. I know it's like you're standing with one foot in the one country and one foot in the. I have exactly same, yes, I have the same problem with South Africa because all my family's there, but you know I live in in Australia, but um, you know I equate New Zealand a little bit like Australia. It's it's a land of opportunity and it's beautiful and the people are so nice in New Zealand yeah yeah that's that's very true it's a little bit far away New Zealand from Colombia but it's an exciting journey anyways <laughs> I know so but it, it makes up for living there and, and uh how often do you go back to Colombia to see your family and spend time there uh almost every year except like in the COVID times I stayed in New Zealand for two yeah. or three years but yeah I try to go frequently I, I'm the same here, so like I, I feel for you in your journey. <laughs> You've worked on data analysis projects for scientific research operations and decision making for various public organizations in several countries. Can you tell us about how these experiences have shaped you as a researcher and as a professional? Yeah. So um, I guess uh, having always worked in academia, I have been really interested in pursuing important fundamental research questions, but also exploring ways in which research can actually benefit companies, institutions, and society at large. So my experience working in Colombia, in New Zealand, and our countries, and I think it has helped me to become a researcher who is really grounded in reality and who is interested in solving a fundamental research question, but also exploring how research um, advances can be translated in things like tools, frameworks, and methodologies that companies and public organizations can use for their benefit. So as a professional, I believe that my experience in, in both foundational research and applied projects in machine learning has given me very valuable skills that are very useful in today's job market. And so for example, one of the things I think I know very well is how to convert business problems into research questions, how to, for example, adapt research outcomes to specific application domains and how to make things useful and helpful for humans. So this last point is especially important now with the widespread use of AI tools and their benefits depend on how actually humans use them. So yeah, I really value uh, the opportunities I have had so far, which have allowed me to both study important um, foundational questions in AI, but also at the same time, looking at ways in how those advances in fundamental research can actually play an important role in solving 
the most important real world challenges. I think that's a very important point you're making. And, you know, I often look at teachers and I'm talking about high school teachers now. And generally speaking, this happens in Australia and um, like South Africa, I know it is the case that they go to university and they go straight from university then go and teach. And they've basically got no life experience. They haven't worked anywhere in industry. You know, I'm not talking about the odd educator that's gone to um, that become a teacher then they've gone out and they've done something else and then they come back generally speaking you know you go to uni um, you may be 23 or 24 when you're standing in front of a classroom full of kids and you are now the educator and I think that must be so daunting today because of the world that we live in. Yeah exactly and especially from the point of view of academia we is really important now that we are, um, we have those skills to translate what we learn in academia as a students or as researchers to actual things that the world can use. Uh, and especially in, in AI, because uh, there are so many breakthroughs every single week now that we really need to exploit those technologies for solving real world problems. So having that ability to translate um, actual technologies to, to uh, how we can solve actual problems is very important now. Yeah, look, I don't have the answer for our academic or our education problem because I know we need teachers in Australia. I'm not sure if this is the case in New Zealand, but, you know, it's a tough gig today. There are all sorts of, um, you know, protocols that have to be followed. There's so much paperwork involved that the actual teaching bit, you know, I've got friends who are teachers and they go, oh, look, you know, like they're completely exhausted by the time they're in front of the classroom because they've had so much background work to do. Yeah, yeah. That's what, so hopefully the latest AI advances can actually help with that problem, right? Yeah. Can help to uh, autom automate some of those tasks and can actually become a support tool for teachers, for example. So teachers can actually focus most of their time or teaching the students what they know yes. rather than all of those operational um, things around that they need to spend a lot of time on now. Yes, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit uh, further in the conversation with chat GPT. So we'll... yeah. <laughs> in 2020, you proposed a method that enables backward transfer, a mechanism that refines existing knowledge in continual systems. Can you tell us about this and why is it important in AI in general? Yeah, I am very excited that you mentioned a continual learning system because this is my niche area of research and is the area that I'm really passionate about. Um, so I will first define what continual uh, machine learning is, and, and I will start by saying that it's a long-standing desire of the whole machine learning community. And what it basically aims to is to uh, mimic how we humans learn progressively and uh, incrementally, rather than just having like a single learning experience like most machine learning methods uh, assume. So we humans are also capable of learning tasks with very few examples. So we don't need a million of examples to learn out something. Uh, while machine, like most of the machine learning uh, techniques nowadays actually require a large data set to learn from. So for example, for common tasks such as predicting the next word in text or categorizing an image, we need a lot of data to train those models. In contrast, we as humans don't need millions of examples to learn the warm up, right? When we're little kids. 
So in continual machine learning, uh, the main problem that has been studied in recent years is the problem of what is called catastrophic forgetting. Or basically, if we can prevent machine learning, machine learning models, especially deep neural networks, from forgetting about previous things or previous tasks they have learned as they learn new tasks incrementally and progressively. So a lot of research in continual learning has demonstrated that uh, this problem is an issue, especially when the deep neural network size is limited. So we don't have the resources to train a, a very large neural network, but we are limited in terms of resources, or we have a large number of possible tasks that we need to learn. So, so catastrophic forgetting has been the main, the main challenge studied, but I am particularly interested in a problem that goes beyond the, the idea of catastrophic forgetting. And what I'm actually interested in is to study if we can make machine learning models, learn a continuous stream of tasks, but uh, at the same time, transferring knowledge across those tasks. So the idea here is that those continual models can not only avoid uh, forgetting, but they can also become better as they observe more and more examples of new tasks. So for example, uh, a machine learning model that is trained for uh, object recognition should become better as it, it sequentially observes examples of many different types of objects. So uh, me and other researchers uh, have called this ability um, uh, the ability of doing backward transfer, which basically involves uh, transferring knowledge from new tasks to old tasks in order to improve the performance of those old tasks. So uh, as you mentioned in 2020, I proposed one of the few methods for doing backward transfer. And at the time, I used uh, uh, the technique called support vector machines, which is uh, not as popular as deep neural networks these days. And that's why my recent work uh, aims to extend this idea of backward transfer to deep neural networks, which is the most widely used technique uh, these days. So uh, I believe that my work in 2020 uh, has been important in the sense that it has drawn attention to a problem of knowledge transfer in continual learning system, and also has uh, since then sparked more research in this direction. So I guess that's that's the main outcome of that, that piece of work. And I think that's an outcome that is good enough for me because I'm really interested in this problem. Congratulations. It sounds as though you've opened the floodgates uh, for the rest of the researchers to go on in this area. Yeah, so hopefully that's the case. And still there's a lot of progress to be done in, in that sense because uh, there's still a lot of focus on, on the problem of catastrophic forgetting because it's a very challenging problem and it's not solved yet. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I think we can make progress on things that are a little bit more ambitious, like the, the, the problem of transferring knowledge. So AI is evolving daily as we speak, um, especially with the advent of tools such as ChatGPT, which I think is now in version four or it's available. How do you think people, researchers, businesses, university, basically everyone that's in contact with us can keep up with this fluidity? Yeah, so this is a, a crucial and very, very timely question these days. Um, so to be honest, as researchers, it's been a bit challenging to keep up with those uh, constant breakthroughs from big tech companies like OpenAI, Meta, Google, 
who are releasing like impressive new technologies almost every week or every couple of days now, I don't know. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think we as researchers um, must not forget about those fundamental questions in AI that is still remain unsolved. Such a, like, for example, the topic I was uh, talking about previously, how to learn different tasks sequentially with a model that has limited size, uh, limited computational resources, or is supposed to learn out many different tasks and is supposed to improve over, over time. So these kinds of questions are still applicable even in this world of large language models trained by big companies like OpenAI. So I think we as researchers still have an opportunity um, to, to actually, uh, in my case and in some more researchers' case, keep studying fundamental questions on AI that is, are still unsolved. And, um, and also other stream of researchers uh, have even more opportunities to study things like biases or like more um, fundamental questions around those large language models, like their reasoning capabilities or where they are conscious of not, or not. Like there's a lot of, of very important and fundamental questions that still need to be solved even in, in when these language, large language models seem to do a lot of things. It is very well known also that models like ChatGPT are trained on uh, a, a large amount of data, basically whole web. They also require um, a lot of computational resources. So this also raises concerns about energy use and the environmental impact of just training those models. And as I mentioned before, these models have uh, well-known weaknesses. So for, for example, their apparent inability to do actual reasoning, right? Um, since they are mostly focused on predicting things, like predicting the next war or the next set of wars given a context, but they don't actually have those um, uh, problem solver solving skills that, that we would want those kinds of models to have. So some experts argue that uh, these models, because of how they're built, take us further away from what has been known as artificial general intelligence, which is uh, supposed to be closer to human intelligence because uh, a single a single model or single mechanism can perform a, a wide range of tasks and have these properties of um, reasoning all those tasks that these large language models don't seem to have. But anyway, this is a lengthy discussion <laughs> that we can say for another time. But my point here is that despite those breakthroughs, such as ChatGPT or GPT-4 recently, there are many fundamental questions, some of them closely related to those large language models, some of them that, uh, that are not that related, like, closely related to those kinds of technologies, but are even more fundamental on the AI theory side and those kinds of things. And those questions still need to be solved. And that's where researchers, luckily, we are still useful. Uh, so that's in terms of researchers and in terms of uh, businesses, for example, and universities and people in general, I think that I have a very optimistic point of view in the sense that I think um, all of us can actually find significant value in those technologies like ChatGPT. And it's our work uh, and it's a hard work 
to actually make sure that we um, sort of adapt properly to using those tools in our daily activities. Very similar to how we adapted ourselves to using computers or using the internet or cell phones or Google search or whatever of those uh, um, very important technologies. So I think uh, all of us should engage with these technologies and explore ways in which they can actually better support our lives, our processes, our daily tasks. And for universities in particular, I guess this is a critical time for us to properly educate the upcoming AI-driven society and make sure that we exploit those technologies to educate the new generation of students that will actually need to interact with those technologies in their daily lives. What excites you about the students coming through now? Oh, a lot of things, actually. Really excited about that next generation, and especially those students uh, doing AI-related subjects. Um, I think the next generation of AI students has a great opportunity to be at the forefront of developing new techniques and applications that can actually make a significant impact on the society because they have grown up basically in a world surrounded by technology, right? So from my experience, I see that this generation is also very uh, active, has a lot of energy and is eager to learn and to experiment. And that can actually lead to more quickly uh, to advances and innovation. So that's really great to see. They also have like uh, students doing AI related subjects. They have a lot of resources these days that we didn't have in our uh, generation. So they have frameworks, they have uh, pre-trained models that they can use. They have open source code that a lot of people is contributing to on the internet. And they can very rapidly uh, experiment and try out new ideas. So that can lead uh, even to more impact more quickly. I also think that um, it is very remarkable for this uh, next generation, the diversity of perspectives that those students can bring. So these days, the students from different backgrounds are, and cultures are already bringing together new ideas, new approaches, new solutions. And this will hopefully lead to more robust and inclusive AI systems, I hope. Uh, I am also excited uh, about the passion and enthusiasm that this diverse generation of AI students is bringing to a field. They are, for example, aware of the ethical and societal implication of, of technology and AI more recently. And I see that they are eager to collaborate and to create systems that are fair, transparent, and trustworthy because they are actually aware of these concerns and how important they are They are for building like a better society. So I don't know if you can sense that, but I'm really, really excited about the potential oh, of this next generation. <laughs> I was uh, about to, to tell... Boundaries. Yes. Sorry, I was about to tell my audience, if you can see Diana's face, you'll see her, she's beaming, she's just, uh, <laughs> she's just got so much energy. And, you know, I actually have to agree with you, because um, 
much older than you and I, I do have my days where I get very cynical and then I get pulled back by my children who are respectively 30 in their 30s and their 20s and I look at the youth and I go listen you know we've we've got a whole we've got a whole bright youth coming through that are very aware of things they're very um, analytical they've got the ability to think they can ask questions and then I go okay I don't have to worry so much you know like I think they you know the world's in good hands, hopefully, with the generation that's coming through. Yeah, that's true. And they have a lot of information now, I love. So that's, yeah. I think that's made this generation more, more critical, more analytical. Uh, and uh, they actually tend to work together even more than we used to in our generation. So, yeah, it's really great to see how by teamwork, they can actually get to actual solutions and they have a lot of ideas and a lot of energy so it's really exciting to see yeah collaboration being the underpinning word for us and i think basically anything that we do yeah yeah and not only are you a woman in ar but you're of latina descent um have you had a mentor a role model and um obviously the next question is do you mentor other women yeah yeah of course uh, i've had um really, really uh, incredible um, uh, mentors who have uh, thankfully helped me to shape into the person that I am today, both professionally and uh, as a person. So my first mentor uh, has been my mother. Uh, she's been the most influential mentor. She was a single mom who raised uh, eight children in a challenging country and environment. So she, she uh, taught me really important values like resilience, hard work, tenacity, and uh, discipline. So I'm really grateful to her for instilling in me also the vision that uh, only through education, you can get uh, for sure to uh, success, especially when you are a non-privileged member of the society. So she has been a tremendous uh, source of inspiration and support during my entire life. But uh, also more um, professionally speaking, I have also been very fortunate to have many female computer scientists as mentors. And uh, so my PhD supervisors, uh, uh, for example, have been uh, a really uh, big inspiration and support to me, not only during my PhD studies, but also afterwards till today. Uh, and both of them are highly uh, accomplished and experienced women who have made significant contributions to the AI field which has been originally uh, dominated by men. Uh, during my career, I have also uh, worked with many uh, talented and driven women. And as a result, uh, uh, I sort of have made it a priority to mentor all women as well, uh, whenever I can. Uh, and uh, one example is, uh, I remember a few years ago when I was a, a senior uh, data scientist, I had the chance to introduce a female who was at that time a database de developer. So she was not very familiar with uh, analysis of data and that sort of thing. And I introduced her to the world of data science, the world of Python and machine learning. And it was an incredibly rewarding uh, 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 thing to work closely with her and watch her how she would develop the skills that he needed to become a data scientist herself later on. So it was really, really rewarding uh, thing to see. And actually most of the junior data scientists I worked when I was a, a data scientist, 
uh, were women. So um, I think that I have uh, contributed to their professional development and success somehow. So I'm, I'm really glad that I had the chance to do that. Congratulations, you know, and I think um, your, your, your spirit of giving and helping other women along the, pay, the way, it's, it's paying it forward for them again, also to see that they've had a good experience, so they will do that for someone else, hopefully forward, because that's just instinctively what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're actually the second guest that has talked about education uh, and how it sets you free in life. You know, there's that ad, Red Bull, the drink, gives you wings to fly. I think we should change it and we should say education gives you wings to fly. So, you know, yeah. whether, whether you're fortunate to go to university or get extra, you know, that you can go to an institution or you simply open the internet, you type in whatever you're interested in and you start applying yourself and you start learning. But it is really education that gives you opportunities in life. Yeah, because, yeah, it's, it's only through learning new things that you can actually have new ideas. You can actually have your man, mind occupied on something useful. Yes, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the Women in AI Awards, so the University of Auckland is a lead partner. Why do you think these, are, these awards are important? And, I mean, we're focusing on these awards, but, you know, I'd like to extend the question to any awards that, particularly women can apply for that sometimes they're a little bit hesitant putting their names forward yeah so yeah I'm thinking in the sense of uh, awards for women in the field of AI because yes. uh, we have been historically underrepresented mm -hmm. and I think that uh, awards such as the women in AI uh, award or any other thing that actually recognizes the contribution of women to a field actually help to highlight those contributions. So I think that this can definitely help to inspire and to motivate future generations of women uh, that may go into careers in AI. It's only by recognizing and celebrating the achievements of women in AI that we can actually do something to help to break down those barriers that have uh, prevented women to enter this field and to encourage more and diversity and inclusivity in this industry. Uh, I also think that these kinds of awards uh, provide a platform for women to showcase our work, our research or our innovations in the field. Uh, and this can actually help to, uh, I think, increase visibility and awareness of the important contributions that we as women are making to the industry. Uh, and in the same sense, this increased visibility can help to create more and more opportunities for women in AI and uh, can also help to uh, break down those stereotypes or biases that may still uh, exist in the field. And, uh, and these awards are also, I think, a chance to build among us a supportive and collaborative community of women in the industry. In our case, for example, in the Women AI Asia Pacific region in our local Asia Pacific community. So I would really like to encourage any women in the Asia Pacific region who are working, leading, doing research, creating, or innovating in AI, even if they think that their project 
or initiative is too small, maybe, to apply for these awards and to keep an eye on these kinds of awards that can actually increase the visibility of their work and what they're doing, because I'm sure that there's a lot of women that are doing really, really great things that we are not aware of. Um, I have seen uh, amazing women awarded in the past editions of the Women AI Asia Pacific Awards and in other AI awards as well. Uh, and I believe that all of us who are making even a little contribution to a field may have a chance to, to get recognized at some point. I think they all very important points you've raised there. So look, ladies, if you've missed this year's cutoff um, to apply, uh, this is an annual awards that's that's handed out. So keep an eye on next year. And for that matter, as Deanna says, any awards that you can throw your hat in the ring for. You know, I speak to a lot of ladies that, that think, oh, they're not good enough. And you know what? you won't know you have to throw your hat in and okay well so what if there's someone better than you that's just you know like that there's always going to be someone better or someone worse than you and at least then you maybe know the areas that you need to improve uh, your skill set Diana I'm mindful of your time do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with yeah so um I guess my final message to the audience would be in terms of AI, we are currently living in a very exciting time. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, ChatGPT and such models have opened the door to a wealth of innovation and problem-solving opportunities using those technologies. So I'm really optimistic about what we can do with those uh, advances. Uh, and I think it is up to us to decide how we want and should use these technologies for the betterment of society and to solve the most pressing issues of our society and our time. And I think for doing this, researchers, businesses, government organizations, society in general should all work together because that is the only way that we will make sure uh, to exploit these technologies for good. I uh, strongly believe that this is a very crucial moment for women to assert our presence in this field. We must strive to increase the participation of women in AI, not merely for the sake of statistics and numbers, but also because we can offer a unique and complementary perspective that actually has the potential to enrich this, how we use this technology and how we uh, exploit it for the benefit of society. Thank you, very wise words. If anyone in our audience would like to reach out to you, um, I'm assuming LinkedIn is the first starting place to connect with you there. Um, anywhere else, or would you like to just leave it at LinkedIn? Oh, LinkedIn would be, would be really great. So you can just find me by searching, searching by my name. I would really be delighted to connect and expand our network. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor meeting you. I hope I see you at the awards night uh, in June in Sydney that we can meet in person. Me too. Thank you, Nishi, so much. And thanks to the audience for listening. I hope you find this of value. Thank you so much, Diana. To our audience, thank you for joining us today for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I hope you have a fantastic day wherever you are in the world and I look forward to your company again. Mm -hmm.